So, I told you that we would talk about worship, which I'm, I can feel the anticipation. Worship, where we're heading is worship is meant to be like going to your favorite activity. Now, from, if you're like me, it's, it's not often been like that. So, I'm just letting you know that um, but there's so much uh, misunderstanding. There's so much that's been robbed of our experience in the Western church that we have a lot of work to do to rediscover uh, the value of meeting together and the value of spending time before God. You'd agree with that? Like, uh, it seems like a discipline. It seems like what's the point or what can do. And worship in its sort of broadest form is giving time and attention and passion to whatever it is you value. So everybody in the world actually is worshiping all the time. Everyone worships because there's something in human beings that has to do that. We call it things like having purpose, having meaning, having a passion. So everyone here is actually a very profound worshiper. The issue is what is the object of the worship. And the object of the worship is whatever gives you life, whatever that life might be. So people worship motorbikes or they worship work or they worship sex or they worship traveling or they worship the sun or they worship hockey or they worship in Australia cricket because I'm a fellow southerner, you know, so I miss that. Cricket and rugby or golf or lots of things. And none of those are wrong. It's just, you know, what, you know how you know what you worship. If I wanted to know what you worship, I wouldn't ask you. I would ask your family. I'd ask your friends. What lights them up? What do they speak about most, if given the chance? What do they give their money to? What do they give their time to? If I were to ask your dad or your mother or your brother or your sister one thing, what would make them come to life? Oh, talk to him about golf. Talk to her about quilting. I can't imagine that being something, but I'm just trying to broaden the spectrum. If you want to get in his good books, ask him about, fill in the blank, his work. And you will find what makes that person come alive. You will find the object of worship. So what do you worship? I, I actually was watching a documentary or half a documentary on, on wild India. You can watch it on Netflix. And they were sh- talking about the Hindu temples in the northern part of India. And there's one that's to the, the monkey god. And there are monkeys everywhere. And the monkeys are the things that are worshipped. The worst one was the rat god. There are 20,000 rats in this temple. There's one guy sitting there with a banana feeding these rats that are crawling all over him and taking a bite and feeding these rats and taking a bite. They have this big vat of milk and then they, they, they believe that when they come back there will be a rat. And that's meant to be good news. Yeah, I'm, you know, there's a sense of that's all they know. So they give the devotion to what they know. But it also shows how people can get taken off the value that God has placed on them. Went to Vancouver and we went through a mall called the Aberdeen Mall in Vancouver and uh, it was like, like trying to get to know each other and, and I was dreading it. Um, I hate games like that. But we, it actually went quite well and was quite fun. And one of the things was the, the, the most expensive piano. I can't even remember the name of the piano but there's in a store there, there are lots of pianos, there's a gold-plated it begins with an F. Fazolia? Fazoli or Fazolia? $550,000 and thereabouts. And they sell them. And the lot, you know, Mercedes Benz, $60,000 to $70,000. They sell 10 a month on average. Bad month is five. Because people, the Asian culture, this is not a critical, he just said that the, the, actually one of the Asians said, our culture values uh, cars. And so it's very important that you have a nice car. And I was thinking, you know, it's heaven is experienced on earth. Um, you know, gold is our, our, our sort of trading value here. And if you read Revelation, uh, you read about the new Jerusalem and the, and the roads will be paved with gold. In other words, gold in heaven is like concrete. It's kind of so common. And I think God has dropped onto earth 
some of the things that heaven is full of. But he says, don't hold on to the gold on earth because I promise you there's lots of it in heaven. The things that you treasure on earth, there's lots of it in heaven. You want to actually treasure other things and don't let those things seduce you. So if you were to come up here this morning, what would you be? What would people say? This is not about guilt. Please, please hear me. It's just about knowing yourself. It's like you go to the doctor and they say, well, I'm sorry, this is the the diagnosis. Unless you have a diagnosis of yourself, you don't see any need to change. What would people say about you in terms of your worship? And then put, put that on one side and then think about this. I mean, how do you like relationships where you go, here comes John, he must want something. I mean, do you like those kind of relationships? You know, the people, when you bump into them, they either want something or they're asking you for a favor. Until eventually you go, I'm not going near them because they always want something. They either want money or they want my time or they want to, you know, you know what I mean? How many of you enjoy those kind of relationships? Probably nobody. And yet, when we talk about worship, we're talking about God who actually has given us all of life. And yet sometimes it feels to him that all he's there for is wheel me out when somebody dies. When you're sick, you can whine at me. When you're angry, you can rant and rave at me. Otherwise, you basically get on with your life, chasing the gold. And then you, the sort of coming together, going to church, is just such a drudgery. Because you see, your heart is not toward God. It's towards all the other stuff. So if it's not guilt-inducing, what do we do with that? Truth-inducing, perhaps? Don't worry, it's getting better. It's not that bad. You see, God is not somebody who actually is needy. He doesn't have an ego problem. He doesn't kind of go, oh, I hope they like me. I don't think, he doesn't, he's not insecure. He actually doesn't need you or me to go, I think you're wonderful. I worship you. I've said this many times, but I'll repeat it just because that's what adverts do in marketing. When you go to the Iger, I went to the Iger in 1970, 1981. Yeah. Switzerland, and stayed on the other side of the valley, and then you look up, and there's this, the Eiger, and the Eiger stands there. And I, it, the same was with the Grand Canyon. That was also spectacular. And when I came there, let's say the Grand Canyon, it, it's, it, you, it takes your breath away. You just go, whoa, 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 this was not an anticlimax. This is amazing. And then you stay there, and it changes color during the time of day, and it's astounding. And you just want to sit there and, 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 and look at it as it changes. And there, 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 are, there are signs saying don't feed the wild animals. Be careful because they're dangerous cliffs. There's not one sign that says please do not gasp with admiration. Or if you're going to stay here longer than 20 minutes, it's really important that you raise your hands and say, Oh, mighty Ica, uh, you know, Grand Canyon, you are worthy of wonder. The core of worship is that something inside you sees something and you, it rises up and you can't help yourself. The, the, the Grand Canyon does not need me to go, you are incredible. But if I took you to the Grand Canyon and I said, what do you think? And you just kind of went, I, I, I'm just an introvert. I don't get excited by it. I'm, I'm scared of what other people will think of me if I go, whoa. You just look totally indifferent. What would you think? You would think either you're blind, you're not seeing, or there's something wrong with you because this is amazing. You see, worship is about seeing and encountering and responding almost because you can't help it. So if you were not seeing the Eiger and you were not seeing the Grand Canyon and it made no impression on you, I wouldn't be looking at the Eiger or the Grand Canyon for an explanation. I'd be going, what is wrong with you? And then somebody would say, well, they actually can't see. Oh, okay, now I understand. And God, worship, we say this many times too, the, the core of worship means to kiss, proskunio. Actually, David reminded them over this last few days. It means to kiss. It means... Uh, I can give you another example. This um, woman, Kim, and her husband, Bill, have got a son who's with them uh, called Scotland, which is an unusual name. I said, he's a big name. Uh, and they, 
on Saturday morning, I was actually just in the foyer, and this guy walks in with an earring and his thin blonde hair, and he says, I've just come to see Bill Morrison. I'll just go and sit over there. Turns out it's the son, Alex, who she hasn't seen for 15 months. He's the one who's the prodigal right now. She had no expectation of seeing him this weekend. And he turns up, and he stays for four hours and then leaves. Pray for restoration. I think there's a lot of damage there, but he will come back. But what I'm saying, why I say that is, is um, I said to her, that's, that's heavy duty for a mother. And she just said, yeah, I'm trying to compartmentalize. But what's happening is the mother's heart is bubbling up. She wants to cry. She wants to say, my son. You see, that's worship. It's the one who is lost has come. And, and God, you see, God doesn't go around saying, I need you. He just says, if you knew me, that's what would happen. That, that what goes on inside you would be a reflection of what you see. Does that make sense to you? So there's an element of if you're not feeling it, if you're not sensing it, if, you're not, if, if, if this feels very far away, then God's merely today saying there's an invitation for it to come into a different place. I mean, the, the, the most stupid thing to do is to justify my boredom rather than identify it. Now, religion has taken all of this and then kind of said, but you should worship God, so get up and sing these songs. And you go, oh my word, I've had to sing another song. And I've equated it to you're going to a hockey game and there's never a hockey game. You go to the arena and somebody comes out in the front and there's some music and we start singing, he scored, he scored, he scored, he scored. Hallelujah. And you go, oh shoot, this is boring. And you sing about something that you actually haven't encountered ever. So you go, I, I do not want to go to another hockey game. Why? Because all we go is to the place where something is meant to happen, but nothing happens. And others would say, well, what do you expect? That's faithfulness. When we get to heaven, we will see the hockey game. On earth, we are meant to best be here, cold, frigid, and obedient. And our worship is honoring to God. And God goes, well, I haven't actually been to that arena for a long time because it's boring. They actually swept me off with the ice cleaner. I mean, I haven't been there because there's no room for me, no expectation. So what's the encouraging thing? The encouraging thing is God probably agrees with you about the boring side. He's probably quite bored with your relationship with him too. Not because he wants to be, he just says, give me a chance. How do you get passionate about something or someone? It's not rocket science. If you want to get passionate about something, you begin turning up to learn about it. You get somebody who is passionate to walk alongside you. Can you come and join the team? Come play golf. Come play an instrument. Teach me how to play this thing. And that's how it begins to rise. And what begins to start happening is interest is peaked and understanding and then skills and confidence. And suddenly you're going, I'm really looking forward to this. It's not, oh man, I have to give up something. It's no, I can't be there because I'm doing this. Now you're entering into worship. And worship brings life because the things you love, when you're participating in them, they make you come alive, don't they? Some people are so dead that they have nothing to look forward to but cruises. Their whole life is so miserable that all they can think about is their cruise. So three weeks of the year, they apparently come alive. They just stuff their faces probably and walk around and go, oh, I got a tan. I'm, don't get all sensitive on me, all right? Um, <laughs> if you like cruises, God bless you. But we are meant to have life now. We are meant to be alive now. Now, I haven't even started what I prepared um, so I'm going to go through this quickly. I'm joking, I sort of have. Because there are, two, there are two, two verses that are, two, two things. I just want to quickly show you because I want to root it in the fact that it is in the Bible and I'm not just talking nonsense. Hebrews chapter 10, we read earlier. 
Um, there's this, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. Since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up, meeting together as somewhere in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Got it? What's he saying? He's saying Hebrews is all about this religious culture that they've grown up in. Deeply religious, deeply uh, honored, wouldn't dare do anything to counter that, that religious ritual. Once a year, the man goes into the Holy of Holies and he makes a sacrifice for the, the whole nation. The women are out in a courtyard, way down there. The temple is designed with all kinds of rituals and cleansing options. Imagine somebody comes in and says, it's all been taken care of, everybody can play. Imagine somebody coming into that culture and saying, God says he's here for everyone. No more sacrifice, no more bulls, no more sheep. He sent his son, who became a perfect sacrifice, to reconcile estranged human beings to him. Paid the price. No more need for all this fear and terror. That's what, the, that, that's what that passage is saying. It's saying God has so loved you, and he's so sad about the way it's all got ritualized and all got religiousized, and everything's become a duty. And he says, I can't stand it. You can't stand it. I never intended this. My desire is for us to have a functional, intimate, loving relationship. So I've done what I can. Basically, I have sent my son. He's died on a cross. We don't have time to go. I paid the price for your sin. You don't need any more guilt offering. Just say thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for me. Sometimes we say thank you before we've even understood it. In fact, most of the time we're still catching up with the understanding. It's just like I went to the hotel lobby yesterday morning and I took out the church card to pay for it. And he said, no, your friend Dave's paid, which was a miracle. But I mean, I mean we're, we're <laughs> but it's just like, it's, it's, it's <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but it's like, it's like that. Oh, you mean I don't have to pay? No, he's paid the price. Wow, that's cool. So you go up to things. And by, that, by the way, that, that testimony that Tina gave of I'm free of addiction. Is, is, a, is, is free for anybody who wants to be free of addiction. Jesus will help you be free. When we sang that song, No Longer Slaves, it's not just a song, it's a declaration. The thing is, it's unbelievable to us because we live in a place where the gold is scarce. But when we have open heavens, God says, all I have is yours. You don't have to do this in your own strength. Because the, the thing about religion is it's all duty. And it's all trying to please God. You can look up in the Old Testament. God says many times, I don't need your bulls. I don't need your blood. I don't need your sheep. I want actually your heart. You ever had people who, who you, you, you know, it's their birthday or Christmas and you go, oh, they're so difficult to buy a present for. They got everything or whatever. You know anybody like that? So imagine you're buying a birthday present for God. What am I going to give him? And you kind of ask him, and he says, well, I got everything, actually, and I made everything. And ultimately, he just says, you, I just love you to be present. That would be a huge gift. And that really is the bottom line of worship, being present. So you have this religious structure, which the Holy of Holies is all about, and, and, and God just says, none of that is necessary. Now, what's the trap here? Because God says, really, I'll meet you anywhere, and you can come to me anytime. It ends up in that little passage saying, don't neglect to, to meet together. See, what we do is throw the baby out of the bathroom. Oh, well, if I can meet with God anywhere, I can just commune with him in nature. You've heard that many times. God is nature. He's not. He's Jesus. Nature is his creation. It's like coming to my house. I commune with God and John in his garden. You go, no, you don't. It's my garden. You commune with me when you're present with me. Don't get off with that one. Oh, we popped in to visit you. I walked around your garden. That's taken that care of that. No, 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 no. Face to face. 
God meets us and so when he meets us and says, I'll, I'll, I'll talk with you anywhere, he doesn't therefore say, so there's no need to get together. We need one another to help encourage us to grow in these things. One more thing and then we're done, which is that story of Jesus meeting the woman at the well. In John chapter 4, Jesus is going somewhere and he stops in Samaria, which is a uh, kind of hostile place, and he stops at Abraham's well. This is Abraham's well um, over here. Abraham's well. Abraham dug it, or Jacob, or somebody dug it. It's very deep, and it's a well. It's got water in it. It's been there for years and years and years. I was in one in Israel. Oh, no, that's a red herring. I don't need to do that. Um, and the woman comes with a water jar. This is from India. Nice light one. She wouldn't have had a nice light one like this, Micron, because they didn't have this in those days. They had heavy ones, and she would either put it on her head, if she was in Africa, or India, actually, or the men don't do this, of course. The women do all the work. The men sit there and go, bring me some water. And Jesus is sitting at this well, and the woman comes up, and she comes up, she sees this Jewish man, and, and she's not allowed to talk to him. And he engages with her, which is a total break of tradition. Do you know what you're doing? This is embarrassing. She's coming in the midday, Sun. There's a reason for her coming in the middle of the day. What do you think that is? She's coming in the middle of the day because she doesn't want to be seen or she's getting ridiculed or she's got a reputation. She is not the madame who anybody wants to see. She's obviously got issues. What I'm doing now is illustrating the Holy of Holies breakdown. I'm illustrating the heart of God. I'm illustrating how you get to worship. Because what happens if you, you want to read the story, read in John 4. Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into... T Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? That is like meeting the God you don't know and, he's, and, and, and you do not expect this kind of encounter because he's sitting there and he's not saying, lady, it's your lucky day. I'm God and I've got some news. You have messed up your life and I just want you to go into that village and tell everybody come to me because I need to sort some stuff out with you and I'm going to reveal myself to you, but watch it doesn't. He says, um, can you give me a drink? And she says, well, I'm not meant to be giving you a drink because I'm male, female, you're Jew, I'm Samaritan. Our differences are well established. It's rooted in our culture. And Jesus kind of transcends that. And what, ha what happens? How You are a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you a living water. I've skimmed over that many, many times. You hear what that said? How can this be? And he said, if you knew, if you knew who I am, I was, I am, and that I could give you water, <laughs> I keep moving, Sean, um, you would have asked me for a drink. What does this symbolize? This symbolizes her need to look after herself. This symbolizes for me to have life, I've got to go through this ritual, and I've got to do it many, many times. And Jesus says to her, he hasn't revealed what he knows about her yet. He says to her, let's read it. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Do you hear that? This woman is living in a religious paradigm, a cultural paradigm, a social paradigm of ritual, regulation, racism, oppression. God comes into her world, sits at a place that she goes to quite naturally. And he says to her, if you knew who was talking to you now, you would ask for water and he would give it to you. If you ask me for the thing that you most need, I will give it to you before you even know who I am. I will give it to you before anything. You see, if you want to grow with worship, You've got to find God. And actually, you can't find God. God's actually finding you. And he starts with where you are. You see, he didn't say to this woman, we need to talk about your life, your lifestyle, your issues. Um, I'm really disappointed in you. He doesn't start there because he's not. He starts at a place of saying, I would give you what you need before anything was cleared up. So I would give you water now. 
that would bring you life before we'd gone through a whole counseling session. Do you hear what that means? It means that wherever you are today, God meets you and says, I'll do the same for you. And you go, but, I, but I've, got, I've got these things and I'm not ready yet. And, I'm dead. and he says, you will never be ready. And I'm always ready. So they begin to dialogue. She doesn't understand it, but they begin to dialogue. And what he does is he just leads her into a place of relational conversation with himself. And it goes around theology. It goes, read the whole chapter. But what he, you see, if you're going to grow in worship, you just start wherever you are and you start a conversation. Does that make sense? It's like learning to play golf. You pick up a club. You go to a golf club. You go to, you find, it, that's how it works. Guilting something into happening is ridiculous. And so Jesus leads her really into the Holy of Holies, into the place that has not been accessible ever before, a relationship with the living God who starts with, it's nice to see you. Can you help me? How are you? Can you give me some water to drink? And as they start talking, then she, he says to her, because um, they go through all these deflections, and um, she says eventually, can you give me this water? Because he says, she's fine trying to sustain her life by coming to the well every day. He's sitting there actually with a stream of living water bubbling up inside him, saying, this is a metaphor for something. You do not have to come to do this every day to have the life that you want. I'll give it to you from the inside out. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, purpose, forgiveness, identity, whatever it is. And she begins to get blown away and totally confused. And he says, go and get your husband. And she goes, mm, oops, I don't have a husband. And every man she's been with either wants her or rejects her. And Jesus looks at her totally unshockable and smiles and says, I'm glad you told me the truth. You actually had six men. And the one you're with is not your husband. And she goes, oh, busted. No, what happens with her, I have just had my mail read. I have just been humiliated, potentially. And yet I don't feel humiliated. I feel known. I feel understood. I feel accepted. This is weird. This man is different. Something's rising up in me. That's worship. And she says, well, the, the disciples come back and they're like cruds. I mean, they have no clue. You know, they, they just stomp in. And she puts down her watering jar and she runs back to the village. This is worship. I'm the woman who came at midday because I'm ashamed of being with people. And I come back to the village raising an, uh, my voice saying, come and see. This man has told me all about myself. And they would go, well, that's quite a story. We know about you. We all gossip about you. But there's some... But she's, we've never seen her like this. And she basically trail after her back here. When John writes and he says she left, he left the water jar, it's very symbolic. He placed, she left the thing she was entrusting and the thing that had been her source of life because actually she had just received streams of living water. Something was rising up in her that was bringing her alive because somebody had loved her, recognized her, was not able to even put it into words that moment. It was just life like she had never known it. And she ran back in the village. She, we read, they, they, she, Jesus stayed there for two days as they kind of said, what, what, how, what? Worship is about coming alive on the inside with things that bring you life. Somebody goes, I need a gold piano because then my neighbors will like me and they'll come and play and I'll have friends. And God says, you are gold. I paid the price for you. It's much more than that gold piano. Where is Jesus sitting around you right now? And what are you carrying to, to keep it all together yourself? What are you lugging around or what rituals do you go through to try and keep yourself alive? Because God would say to you today, you don't have to. What is the next question? What is, what is the next step for you to ask so that God can actually release in you life that makes it fun to know him, to worship him, to walk with him? What would cause you to begin to say, I, lo I long for more of that? And the only place it can be found is in the person of Jesus. And the only way you find the person of Jesus is you find people who follow Jesus and say, how do you do this? And then you drink. Let's stand.
And let's just come before God right now. I mean, he's right here. He's right with us. No question. Father, we all know only too well what broken relationships are like. We know only too well what strained relationships are like. We, we know only too well because our lives are filled with senses of duty and obligation. And we ask you to forgive us where that has become our mindset with you as well. But thank you that you don't accuse us. Thank you that we're just identifying our struggle. And God is so full of life. He's so alive. He's so full of love. He's so full of getting us. I mean, he really gets you. He knows what will make you come alive. He knows the things that you feel. He knows how many husbands and wives you've had. He knows what you do in the dark. He knows what you do in the light. He knows everything about you. And he still says, you know, when I, everything, I, everything you think I don't know, I show you I do know. I want to reassure you that I'm not going anywhere. I love you. And all the stuff that gets in the way is just stuff that gets in the way. And I would love you. I would love to help you come alive, to know that you are loved, to know that you have purpose, to know that you are forgiven, to know that I'm not disappointed in you, to know that I am a living God. I am very, very good. I'm very kind. I'm very alive. And one of the things God will do with you is he'll start talking to you. He'll just talk to you about your life, what you do, how you feel, what gives you life. For some of you, he will say, the image you have of me is not even true. So I would be bored with that definition, just like you are. I'm not like that. And Father, I pray for revelation right now. Revelation of what we hold on to that is fool's gold. Revelation of our false worship, our false idols. We confess to you that often we're more animated about the things that we do, the things that we build, and the things that we play with than we are of you. We don't know what to do with that other than to tell you that and to say, Jesus, I'd love to feel that way about you. And he just says, come to me. Because I feel the way you do about the things you love. I feel that way about you all the time. I'm passionately for you. Don't be afraid of me. And ask, Father, that your Holy Spirit will both show us our hunger and our dryness or our false idols, but also will you show us your love and your greatness, your goodness. Will you show us who you are? Give us an encounter with you like that woman had at the well. It wasn't in the church. It was through her ordinary life. It was an extraordinary encounter. And then just ask God to increase your love for him and your sense of being loved by him. Everything about worship starts with him. So, Father, I pray... Uh, that you will take away the barriers that cause us to keep our distance from you. If there's anything that you need to lay down, just lay it down. Forgive me, Jesus, for this. Forgive me for that. He's already paid for it. Forgive me. We have all kinds of addictions to all kinds of idols, including ourselves. And God just says, lay it down. It's getting in the way of my embrace of my life for you, my love for you being expressed. And so, Father, I just pray blessing over this group right now, blessing over each person. That wherever they're hungry, wherever they're dry, wherever uh, we've got a little lost, that you will just bring us back to that place where life can flow again. Bring us into relationships with people who can mentor us, teach us, encourage us. Give us humility to ask questions. Give us a hunger and a curiosity that means we, we take responsibility and we look out for things. We look out for how can I become better at this? How can I know him better? Because God's word today is I am here and for you, not against you. And you are no longer slaves. As we're going to come and break bread together, this is an, it's an opportunity to say to, to God and to Jesus again, thank you for what you've given me. Thank you for what you're doing. Come Holy Spirit, make these words real and true. It's not in your head, it's in your heart. Listen to your heart. Watch the cry of your heart, the longing of your heart right now. If your heart wants to run away, why does it want to run away? Jesus said, do not be afraid. I'll never leave you or abandon you. If your heart feels like you'll never be accepted, 
That's a lie. Jesus already receives you. If your heart tells you that you've learned to rely on these, some, some of these addictions for so long, you don't know what it would be like to be free of them. And you don't even know if you want to be free. Well, you can do what Laura says. You just bring that to him and say, Lord, at this point, I don't even want to let it go. But you can, will you bring me to the place where I do? You just start wherever you are. And you talk to somebody who really gets you. So he's not angry with you. He says, I know you have six husbands. Whatever the six husbands are, they could be anything. It could be anything. Whatever takes your affections. And he doesn't condemn you with it. He says, you're only taken up with that because you really haven't met me yet. When you've met me, that thing can be part of your life, but this is not going to be that big a deal. That's all. You can still go sailing. You still play golf. You can still fly. It's just going to have a different meaning. It will be much better, actually. So Jesus called his disciples together before he was going to die, and they were going to be taken to the brink of everything that they could ever cope with. And he said, I want you to gather together 